Once again, a very happy 4th of July weekend to you all. I hope that you all have some plans to celebrate today or tomorrow, or perhaps you already have. July 4th is a wonderful, it's a great holiday, if you ask me. Cookouts, fireworks, cold beer, hot sidewalks, kids playing in sprinklers. What's not to love about the 4th of July? A friend of mine recently said to me that July 4th and Thanksgiving were their two favorite holidays, actually, because they're not religious at all, they said. You don't even have to go to church on these holidays. What could be better than that? I guess they forgot what I do for a living. um, But I I do think that my friend could be on to something a little bit here. when they, Because the 4th of July and Thanksgiving, they are uniquely... American holidays in their own way, and they celebrate the idea and the spirit of just two words, thankfulness for Thanksgiving and freedom this weekend. We throw big parties and celebrations uh, celebrating the presence of these ideas in our lives, but they don't come out of thin air, I would say. And I would also say that they're actually deeply religious, if you think about them, or more specifically Christian in their origin. Take Paul's letter to the Galatians that we just heard Gene read from a few moments ago. It's all about freedom, this entire book. But when Paul is talking about freedom, he's not talking about freedom fries, he's not talking about popsicles in the way that I often do when I think about freedom. When we think about freedom, we tend to think about being out from underneath the authority or the control of someone or something else. Free to determine our own path or determine our own identity and our future. In many ways, this is what Fourth of July weekend is celebrating. In some ways, that's what the American dream is celebrating. But I don't think it's what Paul is talking about when he talks about freedom. In our reading from just the last week, a few verses before what Gene read this morning, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul is writing to a community of Gentile Christians, of people who were non-Jewish, who had just recently converted to Christianity, just a few years after Jesus' own death. It's a letter about what true freedom actually looks like and means in our lives. The issue at hand with the people that Paul's writing to in Galatians was that a good number of these people in Galatia were beginning to emphasize, once again, the Mosaic law over the gospel message itself. Specifically, what Paul is addressing is their emphasis on circumcision. And their idea and what they were proclaiming was that circumcision was essential, if not paramount, to their identity and even their salvation as new Christians. And this makes Paul absolutely crazy. You even see in the bit that Gene was reading that he says, see that I'm writing to you in this large print. It's like his text has gone from size 12 to size 30 or something like that. Or he's writing with a Crayola crown, something just shouting at us. And to Paul, and this is why I love him so much, he's arguing that this idea that circumcision is of such importance, it misses the entire point. When Jesus says from the cross, it is finished, what is finished is our need to try and save ourselves 
by following the law or earning salvation on our own in any way. And as he said in our reading last week, for freedom Christ has set you free. Christ has freed us from the weight of sin and death. We need not be afraid under these burdens. But again, the Galatians have lost sight of this. So Paul begins this section that we read today in a very harsh and what even sounds like a really judgmental tone, and what sounds like the opposite of the gospel in many ways. He says, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. When I first hear that, or I hear it maybe a little bit out of context, it makes me anxious. It sounds, again, very judgmental. It sounds basically like Paul's saying, don't be bad, be good, or else. And sadly, so many of us, this is the way that we often hear this passage and even other passages in Scripture. Sometimes we hear sermons about passages like this that emphasize that very thing. And that's undoubtedly caused a lot of spiritual harm, a lot of shame, a lot of distrust when it comes to our relationship with the church, this place that's supposed to be a place of sanctuary. It's supposed to be a place of forgiveness and absolution of sins. But in the context of what's going on here with Paul and these people in Galatia, like I've said, we see that this isn't at all what Paul is talking about. He isn't saying that if you pursue the desires of the flesh over the will of God, then you're damned. If that was the case, then we'd all be in a lot of trouble, including Paul himself. Instead, what Paul is talking about And asking is this, where are you ultimately putting your faith and your hope and your trust? Are you putting your faith and your hope and your trust in the flesh, in circumcision, in our own ability to follow the law, to perform well and to follow the rules, to create our own narrative and display of righteousness that's even better than our neighbor next to us? something that will then make us feel and look worthy to be loved? Or, or rather, all of these things equal putting our trust in ourselves, am I right? Or are you placing your hope and your trust for redemption and your hope for the present and the future? In good times and most importantly in times of suffering, are you putting your trust in God himself to be your redeemer and your sustainer. To sow to the Spirit, as Paul is imploring us all to do, is to trust that our salvation does not come from some adherence to any external law. You're free from that, he says. Christ has said to us, we're free from that. Instead, it comes from what God has done for you and me in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us all on the cross. We like to think that freedom equals independence. Freedom to write our own stories, to create our own identities, our own successes, and to avoid our own failures. If I can only be free to choose to do what I want, then I'll be capable of earning my own worthiness and 
I'll work my way, my own way out of all of the suffering of life. Just don't get in my way, we like to think. Just don't get in my way of me solving my own problems. But sadly, that's not the way that life shakes out. If we sow to ourselves, if we bet on ourselves alone, then we'll always reap some kind of brokenness, some kind of half-truth about ourselves. We can't save ourselves, but the good news is that we've been freed from having to do so. That is the true freedom that Paul is reminding us of. Adam Phillips, who is a psychoanalyst himself and a writer, uh, he's a great writer. He wrote a great short biography on Sigmund Freud a couple of years ago called Becoming Freud that I'd really recommend to you. And the whole concept of the book is based on Freud's own rejection of autobiography as a genre and his attempt to destroy and rather neurotically destroy all of his own letters and journals, trying to make it difficult for anyone who would come after him to write a biography about himself. This is because, as Freud saw it, man was not the master of his own house. That our self-knowledge about ourselves was stitched through with wishes and half-truths about ourselves. I had a really long quote from this book uh, and some of it from Freud that I read at the 745 service this morning, but this sermon is long enough already, and I don't want you walking away from here just thinking about Freud. So. I'm going to paraphrase it just a little bit here. The, the really amazing, and I would actually say kind of scary and terrifying insight from this book and from Freud is that we are all ultimately so afraid and so worn down by the burdens that we are carrying that we engage, when we engage with other people and we talk about ourselves, we don't tell the truth about ourselves. And that even goes for when we're talking about ourselves to ourselves. We don't even tell the truth about ourselves. We are not even free to tell the truth about ourselves to ourselves. And so Freud saw it as his job to help people discover the truth about themselves. I find Freud to be a really fascinating person, despite his many, let's say, unconventional and rather singular conclusions about the human condition. In the end, I do think, though, that he is onto something here. We aren't free, as he's suggesting, to create a new truth about ourselves. Certainly not one that will save us from all of the things that ail us. If we put our trust in ourselves to save ourselves, we'll be barking up the wrong tree, heading down a path led by our own self-deception. But in the end, it's not Freud's job to actually save us, right? Therapy is a, a tremendous gift from God, and I couldn't recommend the services of Ethan Richardson and Mary Lou and our Christchurch Counseling Center here anymore, but they would be the first ones to tell you that they are also not the ultimate answer to your salvation. Instead, what they will help you see are these untruths that you're telling yourself about yourself. And they will help you see that you can't be the one to save yourself by yourself. That you can't place all of your hope and trust 
and yourself alone. Instead, we ought to put our trust in the one who actually wrote our story. Instead, we ought to put our trust in God who knows us inside and out, who created us, who died for us, who has forgiven us and loves us despite all of it. When my wife was pregnant with our first child about four years ago, she invited me to go to a yoga class for parents expecting their first child. I was anxious to go to this yoga class, to say the least. Uh, the only yoga class that I'd ever been to was one up at Shrinemont that Courtney Evans led. And about two minutes into it, I was sound asleep snoring in the grass. <laughs> and I honestly, um, I felt really anxious about this class, not just because it was yoga, and I wasn't used to that, but I was expecting it to be a sort of lived out experience about all of the baby books at that time that I'd been consuming, all of which had just doubled down on all of my stresses and anxieties with their long list of all of the do's and the don'ts of parenting and all of the lifelong consequences if you ever make one of these mistakes. I thought that this class was gonna be sort of more of the same. But thankfully, I was wrong. After about a half hour of uncomfortable stretches that I was trying to do in my work clothes and sort of bouncing up and down on a couple of big purple exercise balls and being told, Josh, those stretches are for the moms, they're not for you, you can kind of sit those out. Just, just sit there and be supportive, trust me. Eventually, the leader of the class told us all to just sit down and to take a deep breath. And she provided an opportunity for us to ask questions um, and for them to be answered about just about anything that we might have on our hearts and minds. She was a trained birthing doula, and so she was happy to answer questions about the birthing process, about what we could expect. So after dozens of anxious questions thrown at her about the right way to do this and the wrong way to do that, and how we could ensure that things were going to go exactly how we wanted them to go, how they were expected to go in this world, and how they were expected to go in Charlottesville. She said, she interrupted us, and she said, I, I want you all to stop for just a quick moment. I hear an awful lot of anxiety in this room right now. And that's okay. I always do in these classes. But if there's one thing that I want you to get out of this class, it's this. You might think that you have a birthing plan. You might have an image of how you want and you hope things will go. But this is life. And things never go as we initially planned them to go. If you focus on your plan and you trust in your plan alone, then you're going to be disappointed you're going to be resentful. Instead, what I want you to have is a birthing wish list. Not a plan, but just a wish list. And then simply trust that in time and in one way or another, all will be okay. I heard that and I was just knocked off my bouncy ball and... I thought, gosh, 
she's preaching the gospel. God is not mocked, St. Paul says. When we mock God by playing God, things don't usually end all that well for us. We fly too close to the sun, or we're crushed under the weight and the burdens of this life that we try to carry and fix and solve on our own. But unlike the one who is often mocked at the beginning of some sort of a story who then gets their revenge against their bully in the end, when we mock God and when we attempt to claim control and credit and righteousness as our own, sometimes we do get hurt. We reap what we sow. We fall on our faces. But God isn't behind that suffering. He isn't seeking his revenge. Instead, God comes to us in the midst of our self-inflicted suffering and picks us up, doing the very thing that he offered to do all along, the very thing that we mocked him for in saying no to God and saying, no, I can, I can do this on my own. I can save myself on my own. God frees us from the very burdens that we're carrying. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute and do your best to try and picture the very thing that you, the very burden that you have been trying so desperately to save yourself from. The very thing that you are so afraid of the very thing that is weighing you down. Now just open up your eyes and know and hear that Christ has set you free from that burden. He has already set you free with his mercy and his grace. God is in control. He's in control of you and me, of our stories, of our identities. Most importantly, he's in control of our forgiveness and our salvation. We don't have to have our own salvation plans. We, we don't even need to have our own salvation wish list. Because God already took care of all of that for us on the cross. We're free to live. We're free to fail. We're free to succeed. We're free to barbecue, to watch fireworks, to drink cold beer, to rest and relax and enjoy our forgiveness and our salvation this very weekend. Because all of those freedoms, the true freedom of being out from underneath the weight of our burdens of sin and death, you've already been freed from those things. Salvation is already yours, and it's free.